Happy New Year, Frank. It's 2022. The best of the 2020s I've heard. I've heard this is going to be the best one. Happy 2022, James. Totally happened. Actually, it's not 2022 yet because it's actually we're recording on. The, I'm going to break Stop the cheating. break. Don't the look wall. behind the curtain. Nope. It's almost the wizard. Is at work. <laughs> the wizard must not be disturbed. <laughs> uh, well, it is 2022 when you're listening to this podcast. And what a doozy because, you know, it's New Year's and New Year's is always a fun time. We went out skiing. You're over visiting the family. And um, it's a uh, the year's over, Frank. The year is over for our Patreon listeners. We did a kind of a everything that we could imagine uh, recap <laughs> uh, topic. We talked um, you know, sales, we talked in-app purchases, we talked video games, we talked Starship Troopers, all the things. Um, but this year, Frank, we usually do predictions, but mm-hmm. we're not going to do predictions. Maybe we'll do predictions a little bit. But I want to predict re- iOS 16 will come out this year. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do a recap of the wins and the losses of the year in tech and mobile development or software development or all the things. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of go through some stuff, talk about some of our highlights and our lowlights in general. This is a big year. A lot happened, uh, Frank. A lot happened. I mean, besides the big win of us recording a lot of episodes of podcasts um, and doing 250 plus, and we're like 290. That's so amazing. That was a, that was a big We, we do have to pat ourselves on the back there so thank you for putting us first on this list yes congratulations james it's a big win uh which which is fantastic um i'll start it off with the wins are you ready okay okay uh, so this are, this are there more wins or losses i'm curious uh what the distribution is going to be here but we'll start on a high note and are we, let's not end on a low note though we should go back to some wins at the beginning at the end okay no, this could be anything, right? This could be uh, a release. This could be something that that um, maybe a gadget that we're really into. Uh, it could be, I don't know, anything, right? Anything. Okay. Yeah. I mean, let's <laughs> just the vaccine. That's a big win. We, you know, Wait, we're doing you, good. But, you took but tech. my first one. You know what? I'm going first. Vaccines count as tech. Okay. We had the one of the fastest rollouts of a vaccine ever. The vaccine was created. It got distributed. I know everyone's complaining about it and politics and politics and politics. But take a step back and look at how fast we created a vaccine and got it distributed. Certainly, the wackos are out there, but. Um, I, I think that that was a huge win for society. It's 2021, like barely exists as a year in my head because from January until I'm going to say April for myself, that's when I got vaccinated. It was just an ugly continuation of 2020. Mm. I didn't want to think about it. So 2021 started roughly in April for me and then ended roughly in June for me. And we've been in the in-between times. <laughs> so it's been a really weird year, but I think um, that one has to be number one. And honestly, because the technology behind it is really breakthrough, the mRNA. Yeah, exactly. And and how vaccines pivotally going forward will be produced uh, is forever changed. Yeah, we we finally got our understanding of how genetics works, how we can redistribute stuff like that, how viruses work. We finally got a good enough understanding of that that we can, um, I mean, program living things to do things. It's a little scary. I'm, no conspiracies over here, but it's kind of impressive that science has gotten to that point where we understand uh, RNA and DNA that well that we can do this. 
All right, for me, I, I assume Khan will be. I'm sorry, Star Trek reference. Khan will be coming anytime now. <laughs> Khan. Um, uh, all right, for me, I am going to go with game streaming. Um, now, this is not a new technology, but uh, a company that I may work for. Um, you know, we're not the first ones to do it, but I have to say the Xbox game streaming X Cloud service, I think to me is a pivotal breakthrough. I know it may have even started like in 2020, but this to me is a <laughs> pivotal breakthrough where you can truly get your games absolutely anywhere in a combination with Game Pass, which is like a Netflix style for games. Uh, you can get game streaming on your mm-hmm. iOS phone, Android phone, on your PC, on your Xbox, any anything that has a browser, you can stream to it, right? You can hook up controllers to it. Um, to me, this is is astonishing because I have an Xbox Series S, which is the digital only. And you now have kind of two options. Do you want to sit and download 100 gigs of files or do you just want to play the game really quick in under 15 seconds? And you can now do that and use way less than 100 gigs and with pretty much zero latency, to be honest with you. My upload speed is not super fast. I know this <laughs> may not be for everybody, right? I have okay internet. I'm, I'm, I'm not the the gig up gig down I used to be, but I am, you know, I don't know what we are like 400 up or 400 down and 15 up or something like that. So, um, I think that it's really astonishing how far this technology has come on how many different platforms have tried it and it just didn't stick. And, and now we're at this point where the technology, the data centers, all these things have really taken off. And I feel like Xbox with the strategy of putting it everywhere, including on an Xbox, which, you know, which did it kind of did last, but to me, it's almost the most important one because I want to be able to try every little thing and I don't want to have to install anything to me. It's amazing. What a piece of technology. Yeah. That's really interesting because you could see the marketing meeting where someone's saying, this is a console killer. So like you would think that, you know, the classic Microsoft, every department shooting each other thing would happen and the console would go into a protective phase. But what it really is, is just another way to game. And so it makes absolute sense for it to be on the console and it should have, it should be the best on the console. You know, the console should be the best at streaming it. I have to admit that I was quite a naysayer about this technology because I don't know. I guess it's one of those things where when we started out on 300 baud modems, I'm still amazed that we can do graphics on the internet, let alone video. But it makes perfect sense that if I can watch a YouTube video, certainly game content can stream. So it really just comes down to that. How quickly can I transmit my current game controller state? And how quickly can the server react to that game controller state? and broadcast that video down. We kind of solved uh, video over the internet, which is amazing, actually. What a triumph of humans <laughs> here. And so it's really cool that it gets applied to something and you've been using it. We were chatting earlier and you were saying you were completely impressed. That's cool. That's cool. That means I don't have to ever use my ridiculously expensive RTX 3090 video card to ever play a video game. I'm very proud that I've owned this video card for six months and have yet to play a video game on it. And hopefully I never will. And so that's fun <laughs> that I could still play video games on Linux. Could you imagine you could actually play a video game on Linux if they support the browser and everything? So very good. That's that's definitely a win. And it doesn't matter if it was released in 2020 because that year doesn't exist. So yeah, very good. It's true. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Uh, you can do win, <clears throat> lose, or an in-between. I'm going to even go with a wishy-washy as well. Well, you, you started with something fun, so I got to do something fun, obviously. So I'm going to give it up to the personal mobility market of electronic devices attaching motors to your feet. Um, I know city dwellers kind of hate how many scooters are out mm. there now mm-hmm. and e-bikes are out there now, but too bad. They're awesome. <laughs> I think personal mobility, especially with electric motors, we are really going through an electric motor renaissance right now. And sure, there's pollution happening. Um, I mean, I joke that in the park next to me, I, I can see a scooter or a bike in the lake every so often, mm. but they come by, they fish them out, they get them out. And they certainly can be nuisances. I don't know why I keep listing the negatives because they're awesome. I love to see how many people are going around on electric scooters now. And you know what the best part is? They're starting to finally put suspension on these things. Mm. You know, when they first started making them, they were making them like kids scooters and like old fashioned bikes and everything. And the technology, they just weren't comfortable. Your arms vibrate, your whole body vibrates. It's terrible. So that's like the first generation. But now all this technology is proving itself out. The motors are improving and we're putting investments into it. And now for kind of reasonable, you can go buy yourself a nice scooter with suspension on it. You can buy an electric bike with suspension on it. You can even buy electronic unicycles with suspension on them. Unfortunately, you can't get a one wheel with suspension, but either, either way, <laughs> it's, it'll come eventually. Uh, it's it, it's just nice. It's I'm I'm happy to see that market growing because it means fewer cars on the road, even though it means these little things are going to be scattered about a little bit. But, you know, now you can spend $1,000 and get a really nice transportation device for a city versus having to go spend, buy a $15,000 car, you know, and be all polluting and all that stuff. Now you can just have a cute little battery. Yeah. And, you know, I have seen the progression, like you were saying, of these bikes and the scooters. And I think more so that's been the impressive part of 2021 is as sort of a reboot to me. I went to San Diego a long time ago and there was like a billion of them around, but <laughs> in Seattle, right, there's, they, they've really hunked them up and there's different modes, what you're comfortable with, like these little bikes, these scooters, these big jump bikes still. Um, and I've also seen, you know, the apps are intertwined as well, right? You can kind of they're, they're more intertwined in general. And I think it's when, when the, the bikes first came to Seattle, they were just normal bikes. They didn't even have, they weren't e-bikes at all, mm-hmm. which doesn't make any sense. There's 5 billion well, so, hills yeah. everywhere. And you're a biker. I'm not a bike. Like you're healthy. You're strong, James. The rest of us aren't. We're weak and pathetic and we're trying to get up these little hills and it's just, it's impossible. I need my, uh, batteries and motors and all that stuff to help me out. And you're right. Uh, those initial bikes were, it's still a good idea. I remember when I first went to Paris and they first had a bike share. So bike share, that's that's a good idea. Like the municipal share part is almost separate from the electric part. It's just kind of funny that they they complement each other very well. So the municipal vehicle sharing stuff and the electric motor revolution that we're going through right now is, uh, yeah, good, good to watch. All right, here it is. It has been the year of arm, specifically the Renaissance. The <laughs> the maturing, the elevation of the M1 chip with the M1 Pro Ooh. and the M1 Max. I'm going to ha- give a tip of the hat to our good friends over at Apple for extending you know, in the M1 chip. That could have been the highlight of 2020, but it only was in a few devices. It came out in November, right? Um, so I'm going to say 2021 
by far fundamentally um, brought the M1 chip to the forefront in a whole nother way by not only putting in new Mac devices, also in the iPad as well, and then coming out with the Pro and the Macs, which uh, pretty much trounced everything. Um, so <laughs> to, to me, um, this is amazing. And additionally, when it comes to M1 support, we talked about this last year that it just, stuff wasn't ready. And, and we still have a ways <laughs> to go. But yeah. Frank, you mentioned it last week. And in the tip of the hat to this M1 revelation, .NET 6 running <laughs> natively on the M1. Um, what a joy. Not to mention VS for Mac 2022 coming with native M1 support. It didn't make it this year, but it's coming. It was very <laughs> exciting. You know what I mean? So so I think that's why M1 this year gets to the tip of the hat, the, the, the feather in the cap, if you will, of a salute to maturing up by not only creating, creating, you know, faster chips, but also um, I think the ecosystem around it has really matured. And it's really exciting to see where this will go and to see what everybody else is going to do in 2022 now that we've been pushed even further from uh, Apple. Yeah, and, and it's not just Apple either. It's nice to see competition up in game. Like Microsoft had that layer where you could run, what, 32-bit x86 yeah. code on an ARM. Mm -hmm. And then Apple came out with Rosetta 2, and Microsoft's like, oh, heck no. <laughs> and they released theirs where they can, they, can do, they can mix architectures within the same running process. They're like, look at this stuff, Apple. So I'd like to see that competitive spirit actually come out. And yeah, the, the M1 is... How good is that? That roughly the same chip I'm using in my phone is the chip I'm using in my computer. It's crazy. That's cool. I love it. I love it. Um, I have yet to get to experience the awesome M1 Max Max, and but uh, I was lucky enough to get to see my brother recently, and we were talking about new laptops and everything. And I'm like, you know, there's an M1 Max out there, and it says Max in the name. You should go get it, so <laughs> I don't have to. <laughs> So I think I convinced my brother to go get one of those computers because they're so cool. He's been using a 2012 MacBook Pro, so I think he can splurge for the Macs. It's it's really cool. I, I was seeing a tweet from someone today saying, you know, when you uh, have you you must have written a direct 3D app in your old gaming days, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the very first line of code you write in that app is query all devices and pick which GPU to run on. It's like the beginning of every graphics app. It's the beginning of every metal app. And you never know what to write there. And should there be a drop down? Some people have eGPUs. Some people, you know, GPUs get disconnected and all that. doesn't matter in the M1 world because it's all just on that chip. The default device does everything you want. It's got the neural engine built into it. You don't even have to put a selection screen up because no one's running external <laughs> GPUs except for those crazy Mac Pro people. But we don't really talk about them. So <laughs> the rest of the world is nice and simple. So it's really nice to have it be fully consistent consolidated like that on the dev side makes testing a lot easier i'll say that much i love that i have an m1 ipad and an m1 laptop that i used to develop for on that ipad real quick yeah that's cool my turn well we gotta Ready. we gotta we gotta keep that .NET 6 train going because I, <laughs> this is terrible because yeah 
technically maybe not fully released, but Mac Catalyst support in .NET 6. Mm. I have been begging for and pushing for this forever, James, and we've certainly talked about it a lot on this show. But I did maybe a week or two, I did something that I've been wanting to do forever. I wanted to write a Mac app, but I didn't want to use AppKit. I wanted to use UIKit. Mm. I did a file new project and I wrote a Mac app using C Sharp, Mac Catalyst, .NET 6 Mac Catalyst. Although Maui is not released, you can actually still develop Mac Catalyst apps just fine using the native API, using UIKit uh, specifically. And it works like a charm. (laughs) I finally can write Mac apps using kind of one of my favorite APIs out there, UIKit. And I think that that is the biggest blessing on the planet because I can support my two favorite platforms in one code base. And although .NET is great at code share between platforms, you and I both know it's so much easier when you're coding against just one API. That's of course why Maui and Xamarin Forms are so important. One API is very important. But uh, for me, if I'm just looking for Mac and iOS support, Mac Catalyst is the way to go. And I'm so happy I can finally use it. So that's the hugest, biggest win for me. Thank you, .NET 6. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and you know, I think Catalyst and M1 running iOS apps is quite a revelation too, because I think once you experience the fact that your iOS app will work just fine and all the APIs will work and your in-app purchases and all this stuff, it just works, right? which then makes more sense to say, okay, well now I can just make it better by doing this Mac catalyst thing and bundling this up and now it can run everywhere. And like, this is going to be kind of awesome. And I reach so many more users. Yeah. I want that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I mean, truth be told, Mac sales are lower than iOS. iOS is just such a large platform. You know, mobile is dominant right now. It's beating desktop, but As a computer user, I use Mac tons. And so having all my apps run in both places is incredibly important to me. So much so that I've basically written two UIs for pretty much all my apps because it's that important to me. And now I don't have to do that anymore. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just going to keep saying thank you to people until they get it. How thankful I am. (laughs) All right. Up for me. This is a wishy-washy highs and lows. Are you ready, Frank? It's a low. I, I can feel a low coming. Bring it down, James. Space. Space. Yeah, we're doing okay. I guess, hey, we put a beautiful telescope up there, and it probably will make it to L2. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Please, (laughs) please, James Webb, get to L2. (laughs) The scientists will go insane if that thing fails. (laughs) We we put a beautiful, stunning space telescope up. Yes, you are correct, and and it is astonishing. It is a glorious, glorious thing. However... We've also launched and cluttered up their entire surroundings with so many satellites yeah, and space debris. Space is big. Space is fine. Uh, <laughs> whatever. I mean, it's been the orbit around there. That's fine. Okay. Here's the thing. I think it's a marvel that both, um, um, what all of them, all of them did it right. Like everyone, every billionaire went to space this year, and. <laughs> yeah. Uh, showing the, off you, a bit <laughs> you got the the spacex you got the the virgin you got the the blue origin ever and people are just going to, and i think that is you got you, someone put a strapped a rocket um i think space is the coolest thing ever like we got up there yeah. and then we stopped going and i don't understand why but like it's it you strap this rocket on to like a chunk of metal and you're flying up there right so it's it's astonishing 
But I also think it's kind of like, I mean, the first time they did it, it's fine. I thought what was more impressive is when SpaceX went and docked at the space station. And I thought that was cool. And I think the the year of live streaming space travel is really cool to see. But I'm just kind of, you know, I guess I guess I thought like just normal, you know, space travel would be cooler. But now I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I'm kind of wishy-washy on it. Maybe it'll be hmm. cool. Maybe hmm. it'll just be super lame because I'll never be able to afford it. But I don't know. Telescope's way cool, though. That is a really freaking cool telescope. Space travel? Eh. I, I think people are being a little short-sighted there. And I won't call you short-sighted. I'll say other people are being okay. short-sighted. <laughs> um, yeah, the rich people are going up. Who cares? It, that, that part's irrelevant, almost. What's important is people are going up. I think in our generation, we were a little disappointed because from our perspective, we just started putting a bunch of robots in space. And yeah, that's cool. But RC cars get boring after a while. Eventually, you want to play with real cars and real human lives going to real places, you know, like with real danger and all that kind of stuff. It's a human spirit thing. It's a better story. It shows courage. It shows Mm -hmm. determination. It requires that the engineers do their job better flat out because human lives are at risk now. And even though it's the rich people, and certainly we can lose them, it doesn't matter. It would have been fine if those ships blew up. But there were some normal people on those ships, and we wanted to make sure they got back home. Yeah. And that was important. I, I honestly, I'm happy to see the rich people go up because it means in a few years, the rest of us will be able to go up. The short-sighted part is um, suborbital is incredibly important for travel. Mm. An airplane flying through the atmosphere is stupid. It's just such a waste of energy to fly that way, to fly horizontally on the planet. It's much smarter to go straight up, get yourself out of the atmosphere, propulse around in the dead of suborbital space for a little while, and then fall to the Earth. Mm. It just makes absolute sense to do it that way. And I'm, I'm really excited that we'll start to get some ballistic travel soon. And by soon, I mean, you know, hopefully before I die. And these are just the first steps toward that. Yeah, that's a great point. I I guess, yeah, I think that's a great point of looking at that way too, is, you know, we used to have the super engine, whatever space. Sonic. Sonic, supersonic, uh, you know, things that, you know, way too expensive and weren't great. But I I agree. That makes a lot more sense of of this could, this could change the way that we travel. You know, who knows? We all might be dead by then, but eventually, right. (laughs) That could be uh, pretty, pretty awesome. That's a good way of looking at it. And I think you're right. You know, it does push things, push things forward. Um, uh, which I think is great, which is great. Um, I was just a little wishy. I think that after the first time I was like, yeah, okay, I get it. I get it. But long-term positive. All right. You're, you're next Frank. (laughs) you were just getting tired you're like how many rich people are there what what could else could they possibly be doing there's a lot of them (laughs) oh i don't know i don't have anything else you go again (laughs) okay um well i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna give you this one you place it winner loser in between okay Mm -hmm, play this mm -hmm. game what you got metaverse Oh gosh, you had to give me the most controversial one. You you gave it to me because you didn't want to pick. Um, That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Metaverse. I, I we don't know. That's the truth. We don't know what they'll come out with because, in general, corporate edicts uh, don't work out. I'd, I'll say roughly that. Uh, large corporations have a bad time having original thoughts and creating anything original. It's why they buy small companies. So Metaverse, I'm going to give them an E for effort, 
but my guess is it's 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 not going to work out. But at least they're going to push the tech forward. You know, um, you're talking about Meta or just the metaverse in general. Oh, okay. So are we are we are we holding this to the uh, Meta company corporate structure? So I'm just going to be cynical and be like, it's a cash grab, obviously <laughs> okay. that corporate structure. But I think the idea behind it, like they rebranded Oculus Rift as the Meta, uh, Meta, Meta something <laughs> shoot yeah the meta something and so that that's all i say so um i'm happy to see them pushing into that area it's probably gonna fail uh and i'm super cynical about the corporate restructuring <laughs> i think that meta so if, if we talk meta first and then metaverse i think net positive net i think it's a net loss this year but i think next year net positive I do believe that many more people just in your mind will want to, will be okay with working for meta and not, you know, not having to go work at Facebook, uh, because it's, you know, fundamentally a different product, even though it's similar enough. Um, and I think that they will, they'll win people over and they already are. Uh, but I think longer term it, regardless of the name, I think the rebranding was a good idea. I think that they'll push it forward I, I think metaverse itself we already we already have instances of it right you have the oculus you have you know team stuff you have you know other games that, that put you in you got minecraft minecraft is just the, the <laughs> ultimate metaverse that i don't understand um i <laughs> i think the things in it and if we jumble it into web three shenanigans i i'm i would say i'm under hyped this year but maybe next year i'll be overly hyped i i think it just needs more time to bake and i think it's all bubbly soda stream fizzes right now wow you just gave me my 2021 negative you, you just said the the evil word there soda stream. um <laughs> no soda streams are perfect and wonderful everyone should have one i don't have one i'm just kidding okay we, they we sound, got they sound I, good though I got one for Heather for Christmas. Uh -huh. Game changer, Frank. Game okay. changer. Who would have thought that you can just infuse water <laughs> with bubbles and a it's it's Frank. It's astonishing. It doesn't require Coca Cola anymore. Just yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I hope that's your big win. That your discovery of the soda. <laughs> it, soda it truly problem. is. It truly is. It's a game changer. Fizzy water all the time out of man. Ruber's been well, saying it for years. I don't know. It's true. Uh, I'm a big follower of Merlin Man, and he's been a big proponent of it. That and fizzy water altogether. I'm just not a fizzy water person. I wasn't. Heather converted me. Okay, fair enough. Anyways, what well, was the you, thing you, that what, what was the thing that I said that you hated? Web three was that the thing? Yeah, stupid. You got there. Ugh. You got there. I we I actually can't even have an intelligent conversation about it because every time I try to read about it i just my eyes roll and i fall back so apologies to everyone we will cover web 3 once james and i can finally wrap our heads around it but i'm gonna segue that over to nfts and just be like 2021 was the year of the nft obviously and i just don't get it i i don't get any new market i feel like maybe i'm finally too old i don't know am i an old but the NFT thing. I've always wanted digital rights that weren't in control of, you know, mm. Microsoft, let's say. But at the same time, the weird markets that they've created, the weird trades that are going on, how people are using their money to buy these ridiculous 8-bit things. I don't get that part. But NFTs were obviously popular in the tech community, and it created a lot of division. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, 
tech Twitter is really roughly split between people who are passionate about NFTs and crypto and Web3 and whatever the heck that is, and people who think that they are the other group is actively destroying the planet and it should all be abolished, you know, through federal law. I don't have a strong opinion because, again, I don't fully understand it, but it was certainly the year of NFT. So was that a positive one or a negative one, James? <laughs> I, I'm back and forth on NFTs. I am, I am, I think that there are cool things that companies can do with NFTs in the form of like uh, contributor, you know, tokens of appreciation and minting something for somebody, uh, you know, think of it as a badge. Uh, you know, in a way that, that, that mm-hmm. is staked to you. Uh, as far as the art and the evaluations, I, I, it's really hard for me to wrap my head around it. And the fact that many of them get lost and crypto in general, um, I would say NFTs, I think they started strong. And then again, I think it is a 50-50 blend and I've muted many people on on Twitter. I don't follow <laughs> anybody, but you know, it's it's, I, I, it's just too much noise. I can't cr- contribute to the conversation intelligently. I did watch a great YouTube video from um, Johnny Harris, who used to work at Vox. Now he does his own thing. And, and he had a battle with himself, you know, that type of thing, the positives and negatives. And they were talking about energy, but actually like 40% of crypto is like, is like renewable energies. And like actually it could be yeah. good for renewable energies. Cause like no one uses energy at night, but like wind is still going. So a whole thing, right. It, everything is bad. Um, everything's good. <laughs> I think though, wow. on the flip side, <laughs> NFTs could get there as they evolve over time, because I think that crypto is in a weird space. It's, I think it's a wishy-washy, but I'm going to go with a little bit net positive on Crypto, because here's the thing, is that I'm I'm now getting a little indication some, from some of my friends that are, are more, let's say, fiscally conservative as far as um, what they invest in, like more of like bonds and CDs and, you know, um, you, you know, um, ETFs, like n- normal things, but like even a little bit more conservative. They're now like researching crypto and like understanding the fundamentals mm-hmm. behind the scenes of how it works to intelligently do stuff. Unlike me, who just finds a bunch of Shiba and Dogecoin, <laughs> which is not intelligent at all, by the way. Nope. Um, and I, I just I just buy random coins for no reason. I, I, I don't invest a lot in, in the crypto besides the Doge. I, that's a, that's a, a minimal investment. I bought a hundred, a few like hundred fifty dollars like five mm-hmm. years ago, but it's not a lot of money, anyways. But I think that it's the year of the crypto becoming. Not just mainstream, but actually more accepted in a way where you kind of stabilized a little bit more, I want to say. I think it's it's maturing to a point where it's not that thing where like all of your relatives are just asking you about Doge. I think some of your relatives are now asking you intelligent questions about crypto and want to have mm-hmm. a conversation around crypto. And I think that's what's changed where NFT is a as a buzzword where I think eventually the, the 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 cryptos and the good projects we saw ethereum i mean ethereum itself regardless of nfts there's a fundamental piece of technology there that differentiates differentiates itself in the market and there's gonna be other coins and other things that long term i think will do so i think it's net positive this year on crypto Oh, I, I appreciate that. Good. Thank you for that argument. Um, I, you're, you're right. I think I just get lost in that we're in the wild, wild west phase of it right now. And I'm honestly still waiting for that Black Tuesday event. Certainly mm-hmm. crypto falls all the time. You know, yeah. the 
price of your Dogecoin fell, the price of Bitcoin falls all the time. It's a thing. But I still don't feel like we've had that mass thing where the whole market drops out. Yeah. Is will, Can the market handle that? Will it re- recover from that? What legislation will be put into place? That's why I feel like we're still in the wild, wild west of it. I get a little nervous about people using it as serious investment because, mm. you know, uh, what do you call those like blue chip stocks or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, well-established companies that roughly speaking, as long as we don't have any major world wars or anything, their value goes up. And so they're pretty safe bets. If you want a retirement fund, yeah. I get a little bit worried about people putting retirement money into crypto, which has absolutely no safeties or anything like that, but it's certainly a volatile market that you can certainly profit off of if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. So that's where it's all scary. Oh, I agree with you there because that is, that, that's the scariest part of, of, you know, crypto or nfts and all these other things there's you know there's not a physical thing behind it right where you know you invest in a company and if you're an index fund which index fund investing i know it's not cool and hot but um it, you're, you're investing in let's say the s p 500 the top 500 companies long term that usually goes up right again i'm not a financial advisor or a financial fiduciary and nor does any of this advice it's not advice it's just me talking <laughs> about stuff it's not advice don't listen to me regardless um but you know, like you said, those they're, they're you're investing in companies, and those companies pay back things as well in the form of dividends, and they reinvest. And long term, those things usually go up. Now, the stock market's crashed many times in the past. We've lived through it, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, usually, if you believe in America, or if you don't believe in America, <laughs> there's international funds too, right? Yep. Yep. You could do that too. I you you should diversify. Don't listen to me. You could diversify if you want to. <laughs> oh gosh, I'm going to get myself in trouble. All right, yep. next thing, Frank, please dig me out of this. This whole, <laughs> I don't know how to quite put a tech spin on this, but I'm going to say Taylor Swift taking down the music industry. Whoa, <laughs> we're going, we're going far left field on this one. Uh, I just think it was kind of interesting. I don't know if I have all the details myself, but it was neat to see. Uh, so as far as I understand it, she wrote a bunch of songs. Those songs were produced and released and she made lots of money, but other people were making even more money. She wanted to renegotiate the contract. They wouldn't negotiate it. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, She wanted the rights back to her song. So she did what I think a lot of people wouldn't have the guts or smarts to do is, well, I own the, I wrote the song and the way music works is, is really weird. Like the person who wrote the song is a different copyright from the actual recording of the yeah. song. And so she took her big guts and went out there and re-recorded the albums and stuck it to the people that were trying to mess with her. And I think that's awesome. I the tech spin is uh, I used to use Napster and pirate music all the time. <laughs> it's super cool to uh, see her. And also Brittany got out of her conservatorship. I don't know how to relate that one either. I'm just going to give it to the music industry for that. Those Huge two. win for Brittany. Big fan of the, the B Spears. Um, additionally, though, Adele changed the Spotify button. Oh, uh, that one's news to me. Tell me more. So Adele, she wouldn't put out her new album on Spotify because I think by default, the play button is a random button. And she said, no, you know, we create albums and they need to be played <gasps> back in an order. We, I think we talked thank about this. Thank you. Oh, yeah. my. I'm sorry. I don't remember talking about it, but thank you, Adele, because, yeah, I'm an I'm an old timer and yeah. I like my albums played in order. Thank you. The songs were put in an order. I don't like random. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Number win. Number win. Number, whatever. <laughs> number win. <laughs> number win. It's late. I need more coffee. All right. Not next. Huge win for me subsystems okay oh 
the the windows type <laughs> so specifically specifically wsl and wsa the, the windows subsystem for linux 2 and the windows subsystem for android and specifically windows 11 i think game changers i'm gonna give a hats off tip of the hat to the company i work for microsoft uh because i love windows 11 even though uh it's gonna make me build a whole new machine i'm very excited about it yeah maybe next at the end of the next year but all my other Surface Books, everything has Windows 11. And I'll tell you, WSA, WSL, even though I'm not a Linux person, being able to just sit there and now debug an Android application instantly, debug my applications on Linux and, you know, immediately, WSLG, the graphics, being able to run <laughs> nice. Linux applications on my Windows machine, that's pretty flipping cool. Tip of the hat to cross-platform everything Microsoft. Bananas. <laughs> um, yeah, we talked about this before. I just want to reiterate, this is really good stuff because Windows has had the subsystem capability forever. And in particular, it's the NT kernel, the mm. classic NT kernel. I was lucky enough to get deep dives in how the thing works. And the very first thing they have to explain to you about the NT kernel is that it's it does not expose the Win32 API. If you've written a Windows app before and uh, like a C++ one before, you're very well familiar with the Win32 API. It was actually my first GUI thing that I learned. But that is not Windows. That is yet just a subsystem on the NT kernel. And the NT kernel has forever been able to, it always had a Unix subsystem, oddly enough, because Microsoft used to uh, support Xenix, one of their Unix operating systems. And that was there, but no, no one was taking advantage of it because obviously Microsoft was pushing Windows and they want everyone using Windows. So the only subsystem that mattered was Windows, <laughs> the Windows subsystem. And it's really cool to see them take advantage of the slight over-engineering of the NT kernel that allows you to just put these APIs on top. It, it was funny when I, I got into a weird phase of Windows app development where I wanted minimal EXE sizes with minimal dependencies. Mm. So there were, if you could code something against the NT API, I would. So you could do all your file access through the NT API. You could do your threading through the NT API. Microsoft hated it when you did this stuff because they're like, just use Win32, dummy. <laughs> but <laughs> I used to love those like zero dependency things. And I don't know. It's, it, it's cool to see a company take advantage of this um, uh, this investment that they had made years and years ago, and that investment pays off in dividends. I think um, the Linux subsystem always felt like a little bit of a parlor trick to me because they always had the Unix system. So getting Linux up and running was just a matter of, you know, finding a bunch of dis uh, distributions to run on there. It was the Android one that really made me take a step back and think, okay, someone at Microsoft realized uh, the potential here in this technology and they're really pushing it and that's fantastic to see yeah i agree i think that was unexpected and um i think that has a bright future kind of going forward i think it's really gonna not only just kind of push the subsystem stuff in general but i think it will push windows into a whole new category so hmm, 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 hmm. what what other 
do you think there'll ever be a Mac subsystem? No, those companies will never get along. It'll, it'll never happen. <laughs> well, you have Linux and you have Android because it's you got the open sourceness of of that stuff, right? And the distros yeah. and even Android as a distribution that's open source. So I don't think Apple is giving away distri- distributions of yeah. that stuff. You know, the biggest thing that that could do, I mean, you remember back in the day, right? There was Project Astoria and Project... Mm-hmm. Uh, some other area i'm not gonna know the name yeah uh so like one of these was how did it work uh there was a ui kit kind of implementation yeah windows was that one of them yeah yeah Yeah, that was pretty much what was the other one the other one was android i think actually oh okay yeah that makes sense (laughs) well it turns out it's much easier to just put android on the machine and run it as a subsystem (laughs) yeah (laughs) than to port over the api or anything like that Oh, 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 oh. Okay. Well, I had one, but it's totally gone from my head. So why don't you take the next one yet again? All right. Big winner of the year, remote work. Oh, is that a win? <laughs> well, you know, okay. So, so 2020, 2020, I think remote work complete and utter loss, big loser in, in you know, I okay. worked from home forever because here's the problem is it was like the meme of the day and you got kids running around this whole thing. I think that it, I don't think it like is like bad for productivity. I love remote work. I love working from home. I think it's, it's what everyone should do. But I, I think that we figured it out in 2021. Like I think we figured (laughs) out there's better tooling. Everyone's got a webcam. People got better microphones. Like people, you know, the kids are back in school a little bit more. Like I think that in that vein, I feel like remote work had a more general acceptance. Now, I will say this. I will say probably there's also some fatigue at the same time, which is kind of a bummer. So I do think that we'll have to figure it out in 2022. My fear for 2022 will be that hybrid is a complete and utter disaster. And that's going to be a a big bummer if that's the case. Uh, A hybrid in what way? Hybrid, some people back in the office, some people remote, things like that. Yeah, okay. Well, we, we've always wanted to expand the remote part, right? Who doesn't want to work yeah. from home? Yeah, so it's the awkward phase. It's when, yeah, some people are home and not. I get that. Yeah. It's hard for me to relate. I haven't been to an office in a while. <laughs> Anyways, I, th- I think it's a big win only because I've, I've seen, you know, I, I think especially as I've seen, I use Teams all the time, but, you know, other people I know use like Google and, and other you know, Google Meet and the other things. Those tools have gotten a lot better, I think. And I, th- I think that there's been a lot big push there. And I just feel like remote work, the remote work setup, everyone's figured it out. I feel like everyone's now taking more breaks. I hope so. I hope if you are working from home, you know, the thing that that um, we have at, at Microsoft, it's not even a Microsoft specific thing, but we have this Viva app thing or whatever. I don't know. It's some, some work thing. Um, but there's this calendar integration that allows you to schedule like no meeting Fridays, for example, and then also focus time. And it just randomly puts a bunch of junk on your calendar to block it (laughs) off so you can go take a walk. You know what I mean? So that has been a big game changer where I think that there's a lot more reason. And this is why I think it's a win is because a lot more research has gone into remote work and hybrid work and, you know, um, stress and fatigue and, there's tools yeah. and there's techniques. Everything is kind of coming out to try to help that. And I think that that hopefully is going to be a, a long-term win overall from this whole thing. 
Yeah, we, we've certainly normalized video calls. Um, I have some kids in my life and they never call me. They always video call me. It's always some kind of video chat. It's Discord. It's, you know, something crazy like that. So definitely the technology matured. It had to. We had to mature it because it was in kind of a weak state. But you're right. Okay, that is a win because it's it's advancing. Um, I don't know. I don't really want any more Discord channels. <laughs> I'm <laughs> no. good with the amount that I have right now. I don't need any more. I don't need another teleconferencing app. But the ones we have right now, yeah, you're right. They've come a long way and they're doing a lot better. I'm going to swing us a little bit hard back into a hard technology again and bring up something we've certainly talked about on the show, a technology I absolutely love, but I'm going to talk about it because it's getting good adoption now, and that is dev containers in VS Code. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, Docker. Docker's great and all, but it's it's a cult. It's a lifestyle. You, you really got to go head first and learn 8 billion Unix commands and clickety clickety and their app is big and complicated and there's terms that you have to understand. And then you get into this thing called Kubernetes and it's all very confusing. (laughs) But there is a elegant, simple implementation of containers through Docker called dev containers. If you use VS Code, it's a first class feature in there. I don't even think you have to install an extension or anything. It's just there. And what I've noticed is um, people are using it. You know, projects have dev containers. And it's so nice because I don't have to contaminate my system, mm. installing whatever ridiculous library <laughs> some programmer decided that they love. One place where I saw it that's making a big difference for me, I like to do embedded development. And in embedded development, you always have a some branch of a C++ compiler, either GCC or Clang or something like that, some weird cross-compiled version of it that can output some weird instruction set for some weird chip. And having 8 million copies of those SDKs on your machine was always complicated. You would have long SDK installation instructions that had to cover 8,000 variations of Linux, and they never included Mac, but finally they're starting to code Mac and how to do it on Windows. You always have those sections. Now I'm thinking of one company, um, Espressif. They make the ESP32 chips that I absolutely adore. Um, They make RISC-V chips. They have Wi-Fi on them. They have USB host controllers. They're absolutely amazing chips. And what I noticed was that company, I think with SDK version 4 of the ESP IDF SDK. Sorry, that was a lot of acronyms. (laughs) That was a big one. That was a big one. Got through them all, though. I think I was correct. Uh, What they started doing is shipping dev containers Mm -hmm. and putting the SDK in an image up on a Docker container repository, whatever the heck those things are called. And you just, you know, point to that, install whatever little other pieces you want on there. But your dev environment comes pre-set up. VS Code will reload into that environment. And the tools are there. Everything just kind of works because it's all somewhat virtualized. I know it's not virtualization. I get it, people. But it's somewhat virtualized. And it just works. I it, Setting up a working tool chain for an embedded system was always the hardest part. Yeah. Getting new people onboarded was especially bad. I have a project that I absolutely promised my professor if he increased my grade <laughs> that I would finish before I died. That was literally what I wrote on the paper. Before I died, I, I would die. I will finish this project. And I have a CD of the SDK, but I have no idea how to get that thing running on my computer. 
it's so ancient and old. But if it was a dev container, you know, if it was built in 2021 using this technology, that wouldn't be an issue for me because I would just have that container sitting there ready to go. Uh, I wish I I wish I had that back then, but I'm happy that new programmers are coming into a world where they can confidently install random SDKs off the internet without much fuss, as long as you have infinite amount of hard drive space, and then you're good to go. So I'm going to give props to dev containers. We've certainly talked about on the show. I just think they're amazing. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point because there's a lot of times when yeah, it's fine if I'm downloading another .NET project, but sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm working on other stuff and you just want to get something up and running and it's a Python thing or it's a node thing or it's this other thing. And you're just like, oh, I got to install this thing and this thing. I'm like, oh, this is older. So I install this other version. You're like, okay. Whereas the, the dev containers, as they start to standardize, I think, hey, just open it up and just all your dependencies are just there and it, and it totally works. I think that is a uh, going to be huge. All right, last one, Frank, and then we'll get out of here. I think Ooh. this is the the big one for 2021. Dot 6. We got C sharp 10. We got F sharp 5. We got the blazer trimming. We got uh, .NET conf. We had all the things it's so fast. We got the minimal yeah. APIs. We got, we got .NET MAUI previews. We got all the things. Uh, the unification, the Visual Studio 2022s. I mean, come on, people. This is the uh, the year .NET in in many ways for me, at least as a .NET developer. Uh, I you know I think it's just a continued journey on the path uh, as .NET continues. So I was excited. I was excited for a great. I think it was a great great year for .NET, um, and I'm really excited for 2022. It it really was, and it's foundational technology. We're going to be building a lot of stuff off of .NET six. Yeah. Uh, we, we had hoped that was .NET 5, but we didn't make it. <laughs> it's .NET 6. And that's going to be kind of the new baseline for everything. I can still tell everyone, please still produce .NET Standard 2.0 for now. If you're a library author, I still think you should be doing .NET Standard. But I'm only going to be giving that advice for maybe another year or so. And then I'm going to be like 100% .NET 6. Everyone on to .NET 6. We're just in a slightly trans- transitional time right now. But the technology is, like you mentioned, like, Blazor. Blazor is probably what, like a 2019 technology or something, but it's so good. You know, it's it's the best way to write a web app, period, full stop, whether you're using the WebAssembly version of it or the um, WebSocket version. Yeah, uh, it doesn't matter. Either one. That's yeah. the right way to write a web app. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, it's getting to be a way to write mobile apps, too, uh, thanks to .NET 6. You mentioned the languages, but I think honestly, it's it's the tooling and the platform support are what make .NET 6 so important. And we're finally into the place where Mac has first class support. Uh, I mentioned Mac Catalyst. Uh, you mentioned that we're going to run on M1s. I'm, I'm waiting for it. I want to download it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so excited for all that, especially because I just travel with an M1 computer now. And so I'm very sensitive. I want everything to run lickety split, super fast. And .NET 6 is going to have all that. And it's finally out, James. We made it. We made it to the year of .NET 6. And hot reload. Oh my God, how did I forget Hot Reload? The most important thing on the planet. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just lost for words. It's so important to me. I feel like my whole career, I've been trying to get Hot Reload in all my apps in one form or another. And now it comes out of the can. 
you know, you, you install the SDK and you just get it and it just works. Yep. It's really lovely. Yeah, thanks, been, thanks for reminding me. I've been doing a lot of like learn modules on my live stream on YouTube. And uh, every time it says like, oh, just hit a five debug. I'm like, and done it. Watch and just go because I'm in VS Code. <laughs> exactly. And then just going to continue. And and then the best part of it, I, I really like doing the done it watch because there's um, if you're just developing a web app, it makes a lot of sense. You don't have to like debug anything. You're just working on different stuff because if you make such a big change, it does a root edit. There's this magical thing that comes up in the CLI. It just <laughs> says, hey, do you want to like re like it's a root edit? Do you want to just rebuild, do nothing? Or do you just want to always rebuild, always rebuild? And I was like, yeah, yeah always just of always, <laughs> always rebuild all the time. Like, just do it. It should be the default. We got to talk to someone about getting that <laughs> like as the default, obviously. Just do it. Well, and then it just does it. It's great. Yeah. And I, I want to, I find that I'm most productive when I have .NET Watch running kind of in the background. And when I want to debug, you can still F5 debug. You just bring up another instance mm. of your app. You can still keep the other one running in the background. And so the mode I get into is I always have .NET Watch running in the background, making sure the app is refreshing and hot reloading and doing all that magic stuff. But sometimes you want a debugger, you know, sometimes you want a breakpoint. Debuggers are great. They're one of the best parts of .NET, in fact, is .NET has a superior debugger to pretty much every other language. I'm trying to think of an exception to that rule, but no, .NET has a superior debugger to every other language, full stop. Uh, and, and you want to be able to take advantage of that. So I just want to remind people that you can totally run two instances of your app at the same time. It's fine. .NET don't care. So I always have a version of the app running under .NET Watch, and then I debug into it when you know I screw up my code. <laughs> That's smart. I like that. All right. Well, what are your winners and losers and in-betweens? Leave a comment, tweet at us, send us an email, hop on our Discord, hop on our Patreon, whatever you want to find us, do all the things. But happy new year and here's to a great 2022. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.